Welcome to another episode of the In the Limelight podcast. I'm Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. You are tuned in to Booksmart's Authors on Show with Christy Francie. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Booksmart's Authors on Show, a creation of Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media. I am your host, Christina Franci, and today I am so thrilled to be interviewing Chris Jay, who is an extraordinary entrepreneur and an author who has achieved great success in both his personal and professional life. He is the founder and CEO of Remote Staff, a company specializing in remote working placement, and the author of Near Death Lessons, a book that chronicles the book that chronicles his journey through illness and personal transformation. Chris J, thank you so much for coming on. It's such an honor. I can't wait to dive into your book. I'm really excited about it. And thank you for you, having me on your show. <laughs> yeah, and let's give the audience a little bit more about your background and you know how you got to where yeah. you are today. Well, look, I mean, I, I, I got a diagnosis at 19. Can you believe it? And they, at 19, the doctor said to me, Chris, we found the reason why you're getting angiomas in your eye for the last three years, uh, tumors in the right eye, because it's a mystery for a 16-year-old kid to get tumors in the eye. Yeah. And they finally found out what it was the, what the reason. And he gives me this diagnosis. He said, Chris, you have this rare hereditary condition. Remember, I'm 19. Um, we don't know much about it, but it's going to give you cystic tumors in all your major organs. Some some of them are cancerous. Um, you might have cancers in your body right now. Oh, and the life expectancy is 30 years old, so you're probably going to have a short life. Um, I wish you all the best. See you later. That was it. I didn't receive any brochures, no flyers, no support, no information, nothing. I went to my car. I cried for two weeks, and that's how my life into adulthood started. Oh my God. I have, I almost like started crying because it's, that's a scary place to be. You know, I was just recently diagnosed with Crohn's disease just this last December. And, you know, it's been a big change for me. And um, mm. my doctor at the time didn't really give me much, you know, information on that. Information. It's pretty, mm. and it's, I mean, it's more common than like what you were diagnosed with, but you know, I felt left out in the dust myself, like trying to figure out researching what are some other things that I can do besides just Western medicine and, and all that stuff. And like, sometimes like the medical field is just like, oh, and you know what else he told me? He's like, oh yeah, you're going to lose your colon in a year. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to lose my colon in a year. Like, excuse my French, but it's like, like really you're just yeah. going to go to the major extreme and make me feel like I'm, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a I, shock, I, I isn't it? I feel you with that, though. You know, like, it's scary, Amazing. especially at 19, you know? And there was no internet at the time. There was no one to call on. I didn't yeah. know what to do. So when I when I cried in my car and then I went back home, I, I pretty much cried for pretty much two weeks. And I spoke to family and friends, and I couldn't relate to anyone. Because they don't have a death sentence. I just received one. Mm-hmm. How the hell do I relate to people <laughs> after receiving a death sentence? I did what every other 19-year-old would do in such a situation. I pretty much ignored it. Yeah. <laughs> I said to myself, if, if I could ignore this so deep and down, like I never got it, if I just ignored it, ignored it deep, and, like I, I could just pretend I never received it, maybe, just maybe it might go away. Yeah. But unfortunately, that, that strategy didn't work. Um, but in return, I, I didn't realize that by ignoring my condition, pretending like I didn't get it, 
it made me run away from all of life's challenges. Every time something got hard, I was out. Life was all about a pursuit of uh, personal fulfillment and satisfaction in terms of mucking around, having a laugh. I'm not getting out of here alive, so I didn't care about anything. And um, but then, you know, six years into it, I'm 24, 25, and I'm going. But why is having a a sense of purpose and a meaning still important for me? Why does having a fulfilling career still matter? I don't understand. I'm going to be dead. But why is this still important? Why? And the only thought that came to my mind was, I didn't want to come here. I didn't want to exist like as if I've never been here at all. And like no one ever knew I was even here. I wanted to matter in some way. And I think all of us do. I I think all of us strive to make our lives matter and count in some way. It's a deep thing in all of us. And that can only happen when we serve others, when we contribute to others outside of our own needs and our own family uh, need, uh, you know, matters and needs, you know, but, yeah. but to, to, but to be a person that can contribute to society beyond their own family, uh, requires us to be the full, true version of ourselves, an authentic version of ourselves and to embrace our personal power. Because you know what, if we truly are God divine, if we do have all this biological knowledge in us from generations passed on to us, it's our duty right now while we're in this biological form, present in this time of age, to express that. You're dead, six foot underground in the future, we're never expressing your dreams, is no good to the world, no good to anyone. You applying yourself, failing, is still better than never even doing it at all. Exactly. A hundred percent. No, that's really powerful because... We all did come here for a purpose and a voice. And like you said, if you don't express those things and then let's say, you know, you get buried six feet under, you're just going to come back and have to maybe repeat it again. Like, I don't know if you believe in um, reincarnation, but it's like, I don't know. There's probably something that has to do like, you know, when you look at your life story, when you die, like, I'm pretty sure that happens, Mm -hmm. you know, your life flashes before your eyes, like you know, you mm. have that like re- regret and it passes on like from your, to your lineage, you know, I don't know. That's, that's my belief, you know? So it's really- that's, a, that's, a, that's a proper, that's a proper theory. Uh, every time I've now remember I've had eight near death experiences for transformative. The other four, I'm kind of having a laugh with my mates, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know like oh, mate, I almost drowned there <laughs> anyway. And uh, so uh, like when I drowned, that's when that, that was the only time out of the eight that that uh, experience happened where I got calm and my life flashed before me from 21 all the way down to five. Only important moments, only those relationships flashed before me. Important moments and relationships, nothing else flashed before me. That only happened then, never happened again. But every time I've crossed over the other side, a few things are are, are definitely very evident and interesting. One, it's a black void. I don't get to see all this, you know, God knows what. It's just a black void. Two, I am out of my body experience. I mean, I am not associated to my body. I'm in a black void, but why am I still consciously aware and present? Yeah. I've flatlined and I've felt my consciousness and presence still in a different time dimension. And when my tumor burst in my head that kills 60% of people on an operating table when that happens, and I'm one of the lucky 40%, when that happened, I was in the coma for five days and I had a profound conversation and presence in there, a glimpse before it came back to my body, which was a conversation where I was in this black void, 
fully alert. My father passed away four months before I almost did. <laughs> and he was panicking on my right. And on my left, I'm having a conversation with somebody about if I don't return back to my body now, I'll, my body, you know, I won't get a chance to ever get back to life. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and my dad and my dad was panicking. And I can't interpret what he's saying. I wasn't in a, I was in a conversation, but I don't remember the words. It was more like intentions and uh, feelings. And then, bang, I snapped into life. And, yeah, so that's all those experiences. So does our consciousness exist? Does our soul exist? Is it a separate from our body? Yeah, we all know this. Science has improved it. But you know what? I've crossed that other time dimension multiple times. I, I, I am alive and a lot of people do not survive as many battles the universe has thrown at them as I have. Yeah. And I can tell you right now. You're a cat with nine lives. Some, some, I hope I'm not a cat. No, <laughs> I'm just playing. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're Chris. <laughs> yeah, I'm Chris. I'm not a cat. <laughs> but, but that's fascinating, right? I mean, our consciousness is existing in this other time dimension. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of, you know, going back to some questions that we have, like how does staying in a victim mm. mentality stop you from living a deliberate life? Yeah, look, so when I got that diagnosis, and I, as I mentioned, I was running away from life and, and everything that got challenging and all this stuff. And I was always doubtful. I was always confused. I never knew what I wanted out of life. And so um, the moment that brain tumor happened at the first one, at 32, and the, and the condition finally caught up with me. So I ignored it at 19, did none of the yearly scans they told me to do, none of the blood tests, nothing. I just lived out my life. <laughs> and then 19, I'm, uh, to 32, I'm almost dead because this tumor was so big, a five-centimeter blood tumor at the back of my head um, that uh, almost killed me. And I, I, I had the diagnosis and I looked at the sky after the diagnosis because I said, Chris, you've let this so loose. I mean, literally, this can pop any minute. Uh, if I was, if I could find a doctor surgeon to operate you tomorrow, I would. But I can't find anyone sooner than next Thursday. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean someone's going to operate in my mind? You mean someone's going to, it's a private, it's like an invasion of my being. Someone entering my brain? That's weird. Who the, you do brain operations? I, did, I don't. I don't know about you, but I didn't know anyone who's had a brain operation before I had one. Yeah. I was freaking out. So when I went out, when I went out of the clinic and looked at the sky, I said, God, I've had enough. I've had enough of this disempowered life. I've had enough of being this victim of my of my life circumstances all the time. I choose life. I don't know whether after this brain operation I can move my my hands and I can think, I can still be me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna choose life. I'm gonna make the most of my life. And you know, I I'm fed up with with being a victim. So a victim basically is someone who thinks they're not in control of their life. You see, you think life circumstances are controlling you. You think your life is a predicament of your life circumstances or whatever the universe throws your way. I've got some news for you. No, it's not. Why? Because you are in this form. You can actively do two things. Think and Take action. These two things are in your control. Therefore, how you respond can be your choice. You can respond as a victim, always spinning your your tail, spending a lot of time bouncing back from adversities, or you you can be running away from things all the time, or you can be a a self-empowered individual or a self-empowered mindset, which means, one, you're shifting your focus to what you can control, two, you are taking life on. 
Mm. You're not running away from it. And you know what? You are going to grow. You're going to learn. You're going to apply yourself. And you're going to solve problems that come your way. You're going to take life on. And you're going to gain more and more power as you overcome more and more adversities. Exactly. No, it's the the best mindset to be in, especially if you have, you know, something that is concerning with your health should empower you even more. So what are three main steps needed to live a a deliberate life? Look, a deliberate life is fascinating because I live my years as if it's my last year alive every year because you know, I'm, always, I'm always getting these scans every year. And, oh, yeah, Chris, you got, so right now I've got six brain tumors. I've got half a kidney with three fast-growing cancers. Wow. I'm always battling these things. Yeah. This isn't just a story. This is a constant battle I'm always dealing with. But how do I sustain being an empowered, fully alive individual regardless of these situations? Yeah. That's God's business. Anyway, I'm focused on my business, my yeah. life, the choice of life. So living a deliberate life every year meant for me is, since I don't know how long I've got to live every year, I'm always threatened with my life every year. <laughs> and I've lived with uncertainty for 31 years. So I've learned that, one, we have to optimize our most valuable resource, which is our time. And we cannot optimize our time properly on this earth if we are victim. Of our, if we have a victim mindset, because often being in doubt with what we want to do in our lives is a victim mindset. If you've got doubts and insecurities about what you want to do in your life, it's you're doing you're running away from something in life because you should have a feeling of what drives you, what gives you energy. That is where you should be focusing. Uh, and so, so having a chance to live a deliberate life is first getting clear about there's three steps: getting clear about what you want in a life. Two, commit all year round. Stop making commitments to things that are important in your life on a short-term basis or based on the results or based on the output you could do or or based on what you can achieve this year on this thing. If it's important for your life, if if you've discerned something's really, really important, you commit to it and you get better and you try all year round and try the next year if you have to. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not something you can just put aside. If you really can clear with this is what I want in life and it drives you energy, it doesn't, don't focus about strengths. Focus on what drives energy in you. But then you can commit to things more. And number three, uh, block out focus time because in this busy world of ours today, so much information everywhere, so much opinions everywhere, chat GPT now, <laughs> anyway, and all these things, uh, you, you must block out time and say, I am going to focus on doing this at this period. Because guess what? We are weaker when we can't deep dive and we can't apply ourselves in a committed way. Today in the social media landscape, we all just jump from one thing to another. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, you brought up your place. So how can we stretch our own personal boundaries? Yeah, look, personal boundaries are created by our brain being lazy, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Our brain forms patterns. Synapses, electrical patterns, that's what it does. So when I learned neuroplasticity, this is how my left hand works, this is how my right hand works. So when I learned neuroplasticity, what's fascinating, and I spent eight months learning how to walk and talk, can you believe that? I learned about patterns. So when I had my operation one month before the birth of my second son, Billy, I got to see, as I was rehabilitating and learning how to use my hand and everything, I got to see how my newborn son was learning how to crawl and walk. And I noticed that my left body my face, my my leg, my arm, everything was progressing at the same speed 
meal is my son. Yeah. Until my son goes to about three, and then he overtook me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I'm now, he's now six, and I'm kind of stuck at around four. Um, it's all about usability. And so, so brain patterns, that's all they are. Let's get back to the question about how do we break through our the status quo, the, the self-imposed limitations we put on our lives. Mm-hmm. First, it's not us that are doing it. It's our brain. Our brain wants to preserve energy. And because it wants to preserve energy, it just wants to run those electrical shocks and repeat your behaviors and thought patterns and outlooks on life and your presumptions, and whatever it is around the world that you have, these opinions you've said, it just plays this out all the time. Because these are patterns that it, that are easy, that don't consume much electric, electricity. They're, they're already existing. They're deep. You must break those patterns. Yeah. Because every time that happens, you must have first self-awareness mm-hmm. to recognize, the hang on a minute, I don't, I don't, should, I should question this observation or this assumption I'm making about the world or this opinion about this is so true or this is who I really am or whatever it is. All these conclusions you make, you must understand that they're just your interpretations of reality. It ain't reality. It's your interpretation. Yeah. And that interpretation is called a brain pattern. So you've got to break this brain pattern. How do you break them? Stop using them. And you can't stop using them unless you first show self-awareness. And that's basically the order. So when I have a self-awareness opportunity of something that I, you know, something that causes me, uh, I'll give you an example right now. In in LA, I know you're in Vegas. I'm in LA in your hometown. Uh, So I was nervous driving a car. Like, what the hell? When I I arrived and I rented a car straight away, I'm like, hang on a minute. There's no logical sense of me feeling this anxiety because I've been driving both sides of the world since 21 I am. Uh, I've not been in a car accident since nineteen. I I love cars and I love driving. <laughs> so why am I feeling this? So I challenged my thought. I questioned it, and the best way to break it is to one recognize the silliness yeah. of it, recognize what's causing it. For me, because I'm living on half a kidney and I go to the toilet so often now, frequency mm-hmm. it gave me anxiety because of that. Yeah. So I just came to terms with the reality. Well, you know what? There's always a McDonald's or a Starbucks. And I came up with a solution, but more importantly, anytime that came, I challenged myself. It's a bullshit. No, I've got this. Of course I can do it. And take action because taking action would straight away make this weaker and weaker and weaker. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm driving. Hey, it's cool. Got the top down, my Mustang. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so that's the way to break it. Don't entertain these negative thoughts. Don't entertain these negative views all the time. The more you entertain them, the more powerful they get. The more of a behavior they form in your mind. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, and the first thing and the most important thing is recognizing and getting curious about it, what you said. So, um, and I think that having that self-awareness is the first step to overcoming and empowering yourself in any situation. So you, there's a chapter in your book titled Live Like It's Your Last year alive you know since you're at the start of a new year maybe you could share your process sure uh, well uh i love to schedule time because i live the whole year out so i you know that popular saying like live as if it's your last day alive i i got anxiety from that every time somebody says i'm like oh, oh my god you know i'm always challenged with my mortality i'd rather not think it's my last day alive every day but if it's my last year alive every every year, it, it it just it gave me confidence to take on a year. It gave me confidence to say, wow, if this is really my last year, 
then I have to bring forward my decisions is what I've learned. Because if it is my, I can't procrastinate on decisions. I have to bring them forward. I structure my life uh, a year ahead always around important events first, such as my family's family members' birthdays, my sons, my wife, and whatever we do around that, public holidays, special events for my company, and so on. And then we're like seasoned migrating birds. We fly everywhere. And then I, you know, I plan like, oh, yeah, we'll be in Europe here or we'll be in America here or back in Australia or Asia. And then and then I put a, I, I schedule magic moments in like experiences I want to have with the family or some like a camp for my son now or, you know, I squeeze it in because life passes so fast that if we don't schedule it in, it will pass us by so fast. Oh, we missed it or we didn't have time to prepare. Mm-hmm. Or So I... I, I'm really big on scheduling. I'm really big on on getting clear on my desires. I link an image to every one of my goals because when our brains, our subconscious mind in particular, does not respond to words. It responds yeah. to images and feelings. So mm-hmm. I make sure that the feelings associated to a goal are very clear and mm-hmm. that every time I look at that image, I'm reminded of why something was important. And that's how I achieve these ambitious goals of mine. You know, go from a $4 million house to a $60 million house, do this. this. I keep achieving these things by doing this. And, and, and every time I, uh, I crank it up, I get, I get like 70, 80% of it done. And I always go, wow, I still managed to do 70, 80% of that. And then the next year, wow, I still managed to. So I'm always just pushing it more and more and uh, without driving myself nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I like that you gave it like a year, you know, to accomplish things. And I really like the idea of putting a picture associated with the goal, because um, not only do we need to work on it, we need to vision it. And so having the vision also helps with the manifestation of creating whatever is, you know, the goal that was set out to be. The, the, the universe conspires to help. Yes, it does. It, the universe has your back. <laughs> it does work for you. <laughs> Um, so you discussed the importance of finding your purpose and the method that um, you can implement. Uh, the first part of the method is to start with the end in mind. Can you explain why this is so important? Because as mentioned before, like we're not getting out of here alive. And that our dreams are not good to anyone, our family, our society, the world at large. And I think there's a seed of greatness in all of us. That's what's fascinating. Because every time I nearly die, I, I, and I, I was like, the near-death experiences, what's the difference between the near-death experiences that transforms you and one that doesn't? It's, it's one thing only. And that is that somehow there's like a reset factory button on your heart. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. everything you hold true has had to be reevaluated now. You have to question everything. Your outlook on life, what you, what you hold true, why you, your, your desires, your interpretation of yourself, everything gets questioned. And every time I go through that process and come back to life and I thought I was going to die, like after my brain operation, a year later, I had to deal with six fast-growing cancers in my remaining left kidney now half. Like every time I go through this battle, oh, my God, now I'm going to be dead. Oh, my God, now I'm going to be dead. Oh, my God. There's always yeah. something. I get It's like an onion layer, and I get more and more true to the core of who I am. Mm. And the more we can go through that process, the more powerful we are. And the more powerful we are in, as, as, as our personal selves – the more we realize that there is this gift in us, this desire that needs to be expressed in this time, 
And we need to apply that. That's what I mean. Like, apply that thing that's the secret desire that you love to do one day that you've never done yet. You know you want to. You know you've got energy. You know you've never maybe tried it before, but you've got something in you. And that's the first step. Recognize what that is and then do something about it. Even if it's a small thing, hear how much energy and drive. You need to ignite that fire. Yeah. Oh, man. Once you ignite that fire, the flame can get so big. Uh, you Whether you like to or not, you will not be able to distinguish it after you apply yourself and take action. It's fascinating to live your life without you being on the steering wheel for a change. Stop forcing things to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Let it come to you. Totally. Um, you know, you also talk about having um, an unstoppable attitude in the face of adversity. How did you maintain that and turn it around on the days when you thought you might want to give up? When that tumor burst in my head in 2016, in September the 5th, uh, I never forget that moment because when I woke up after that uh, five days of a coma and having an interesting conversation about returning back to my body, mm-hmm. uh, can you believe that the first two weeks, I anyone I managed to, by the way, I couldn't talk. <laughs> I, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, uh, because my speech was affected, everything was affected. But for those that could somehow understand me, uh, I kept saying, like, there's just no way to live. How can you expect me to live like this? I, the first two weeks when I got back to my body, I thought I'm better off dead. I didn't want to live. Like, why would I want to live like this? This is ridiculous. I had so many side effects. There was nowhere to live. And my wife was like, well, Chris, that might be true for you and it might be better for you, but it's not better for me and we'll get through this. (laughs) So my wife saved me. My wife saved me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it was only two and a half months later after that brain operation when the biggest transformation happened, when I kept obsessing about my problems. I kept going, how am I supposed to live in all this stuff? And my wife's like, Chris, it's it's done. You know, it's happened. You can't change it anymore. And and then it dawned on me that, oh, yeah, it's done. I had to accept the reality, accept the moment, the situation I'm in, and it was a liberating feeling to finally accept, let go of the past, let go of what's ever happened, just accept it, and then shift my focus to what I can control, what I can do. Yeah. That's all my energy went to. And that's how I kept bouncing back from adversities, yeah. learning how to walk and talk and going from a small business to a large business, going from an ordinary house to a mansion. <laughs> you know, all these things happen yeah. just by this simple thing because all of us have limited energy and limited time. It's how we optimize our, our energy and time. And the yeah. only way we can optimize our energy and time is how do we optimize these brain patterns in us, our actions and our thoughts. A hundred percent. Well, you have an extraordinary attitude and very inspiring. And, you know, I think that your book will help so many people. How can people get their hands on it? Sure. I mean, if you go to amazon.com and type near death lessons, uh, you'll find it there. Like, you know, like near death experiences, but it's near death lessons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or you can go to neardeathlessons.com as well. Do you have any like free gift or offer to the audience? Yeah. Of course. I mean, I would be delighted to post out 20 free copies to anyone who reaches out to you, and I'll be personally posting it to you. I need your mobile number, your address, and your full name, and I'll go to FedEx and FedEx. And you, you have to be in America, though. Okay. <laughs> it's too expensive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, somebody asked me to post them a book in Canada. I was like, oh, my God, it's like 120 bucks. What? For real? Anyway. <laughs> so US, USA only. <laughs> well, Chris. Yeah. 
it was such an honor to have you on such an inspiring story. You know, your attitude is just absolutely amazing. And all of your accomplishments, you know, are also truly amazing. And, you know, it just really shows that no matter what life throws at you, it's not it's not that it happened to you, it happened for you, you know? And I feel like maybe a lot of these things happen to us so that we could work harder at achieving our goals and knowing that we are unstoppable and limitless. And you are definitely unstoppable and limitless. And I just love your attitude and really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge and your passion with the audience today. So thank you so oh, much. Thank you. Yeah. And it's really thank inspiring you. for me too, you know, because going mm. through my own stuff, you know, definitely nothing like you, but, you know, going through my own stuff, it, it all relates, you know, and it's like, how are you going to take charge of your life? What are you going to do with your mindset? Because your mindset is the first thing. Being curious, understanding where the emotions are coming from, because a lot of it is emotional, you know, um, you know, the environments that we're in, the relationships that we're around, how we talk to ourselves and our internal dialogue. Yeah. It's all really important. And you can achieve spiritual healing when you've got your emotions and, and your mind aligned. Mm-hmm. You'll be an antenna to receive incredible wisdom. Exactly. And and that's what it is. Balance, you know, having that inner body connection with your soul and your actual being, because there are two parts in one, you know, so. Uh, well, I, I pray and I wish you all the very best for your own uh, challenges to bounce back and heal from those. You can heal. I personally am a walking miracle. And uh, I've always bargained for my life, by the way. So I recommend you link it. You link your healing to a noble pledge. Somehow it has a spiritual ammunition to it. It does. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, it was such an honor to have you on. Thank you for everyone listening to this episode of Booksmarts Authors on Show. All of Chris's links are down below in the show notes. Don't be shy. Go say hi. Check out his book. I'm sure it'll be very inspiring to those out there listening. And thank you. And I hope to see you in the next one. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Book Smarts Authors on Show here on the In the Limelight Podcast Network, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends.